from the early learning studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA, it is time for another Get Ready for Spring episode of Chemical Free Horticultural Hijinks. You bet your garden. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. Oh, the weather outside is frightful, but thoughts of spring are so delightful. On today's show, we'll begin a seasonal series on what you need to do to have a successful garden in 2022. Plus your fabulous phone call questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and beneficially bodacious beatifications. So keep your ears and or eyes right here, cats and kittens, because it's all coming up faster than you having a garden of good eating right after this. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden, all new from the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. I am your host, Mike McGrath. And yes, just like we've done in previous years, with your total approval, we're going to go over all the basics of getting ready for this season because we simply have so many listeners uh, joining, finding out about the show, joining in. But I guarantee there's going to be some stuff in there that hardcore old-time gardeners are going to go, yeah, I heard him say it before. Okay? In between, <laughs> lots of your fabulous phone calls at, <laughs> at 888-492-9444. 888-492-9444. Betsy, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you, Mike. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad you're here as well, Bets. Where are you? I am in beautiful Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Oh, my goodness. Why didn't you just walk over? You could be in the studio. I just, just about could. And we have actually just moved here. And the previous owners gave us a lovely gift of bamboo out in our beds. And I am wondering what I can do to eradicate it because it's a monster. Well, um, before we start getting into the depth of trouble that you bought into, where'd you move from? Um, from just up the road, about 20 miles in Bushkill Township by oh, Jacobsburg sure. State Park. Yeah, there yes. used to be an amazing amusement park up in Bushkill, but they kept flooding from the creek, I think, the creek. Exactly. All right. So um, did you buy this house in a hurry? No offense. Well, yes, but the over a four-year period. Uh, it was the right house in the right location. Oh, okay. And so you've been there four years. No, no. We've been here about two months, but we looked for a period of four years. Oh, I know. For the right property and the right location. Yeah, I know. I know. Well, you're in a world of trouble. Uh, there was no <laughs> disclosure. You didn't have the house inspected or anything? No. Yeah. People are passing the home inspection now because the housing is so tight. Um, 
the, the previous right. owners didn't do you any favors, however. Now, where no. try to describe where the bamboo is. So we have a barn, and it's out behind the barn. Okay, that's good. And there's a berm. Um, I see it looks like it's starting to creep towards my neighbor's property. Good, good. Push and it there. And then on the um, – I don't think they'll appreciate that. That's not, and then on that's the not other my problem. Side, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the other side of our property, there's some starting to grow there as well. So I don't know if they deliberately planted it in two separate places, if they threw some into compost. I'm not sure. Okay. All right. Now, um, but for now, it's contained. It's not undermining your foundation or gardens or anything like that. No, no. A little bit in the one garden. Um, you know, it's growing up through some bushes and stuff. Uh, there's no such thing and as a little bit. one actually came up. Yeah. And one came up underneath through the barn, which has a... Um, a gravel floor. Oh, yeah. No, you're going to have a bamboo factory in the barn. So here is your best option. Running bamboo, which has that common name because it literally, as you know, runs. It can grow. It can expand a foot in a couple of days. And it's a spreading rhizome. That's really just one plant out there. And it's all connected. So... What you're, big plant. what you're going to have to do um, is you have two options. One, you can do the rope-a-dope method. You just keep mowing it to the ground, mowing it until dirt blows out the back of your motor. You, uh, mower. You may need to buy a heavy-duty mower, like a brush cutter, because bamboo is very difficult to cut. Uh, but if you get a, um, a machete... And you knock off the top, which could be personally satisfying to you. Um, yes. <laughs> and then run it over with a brush cutter repeatedly. It will take years, but it will eventually come up not as true bamboo, but as like a tiny grass. And you keep mowing that down, and the next year you should be okay. Your other option is to hire a contractor and have them install what's called a rhizome barrier around the existing plants, even if they have to do it in two places. A rhizome barrier is a very specific um, type of metal fabric. I, you know, I've never used one, so I'm not sure. But it, it has to be installed professionally. If there's any gaps, the bamboo will escape through that. But if it's installed professionally, it will stop the running. It will contain the bamboo mm -hmm. to the area that it already is. In the barn, I would suggest you, you know, cut it down to the gravel and pile like two feet of mulch on top, you know. Uh, pile mulch on top. Yeah, yeah, like arborist wood chips. And keep your eye open. But, you know, you're going to have to keep dealing with this. It is, um, it's a nasty plant. Herbicides don't work. And um, physical containment is the best option for you at the moment, and that'll buy you time to figure out what you can do um, to weaken the existing stalk. Do you know how? Do you know how deep the rhizomes go? No, but a professional landscape contractor will. 
and they'll install the rhizome barrier at the right level with a little lip above ground to prevent it from jumping. Because we thought about, you know, chopping it off and then getting some sort of like a mini excavator and trying to dig as much of it out and then burning it. Well, there's no need to burn it. Once the rhizomes are out of the ground, they're not going to be Mickey and the broomstick or anything like that. But if that's one of your options, again, get a professional who knows what they're doing. That's a great option, uh, especially in maybe a small area that it's affecting. But right now, you you need the rhizome barrier to give you time to process all this. Okay. Will that grow through the winter as well? No, it goes dormant in the winter, but it stays green. It's a remarkably beautiful plant. It has inspired Japanese artists for untold centuries, um, and but it's best viewed from a distance, like your neighbor's house. Right, exactly. And if it's at your neighbor's house, then it's at yours. Yeah, pretty much. So... All right, Uh, and I'm also going to send you to the website. Go to youbetyourgarden.org. Click on the link that says answers to hundreds of your garden questions. Type bamboo in the search engine, and you'll see a more detailed explanation. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Wait a minute. There's There's also a website called American Bamboo. Not sure if it's American bamboo. Yes. And they have a lot of advice for people in your situation. That's great. I'll definitely look on that as well. Okay, But my advice, my advice would be to cut it all to the ground, sell the house over winter and move someplace else. All right. Good luck to you. All right. Thanks. Take care. Bye bye. 888-492-9444. Patsy. Welcome to You Bet Your Garden. And thank you, Mike. Well, thank you, Patsy. How are you? I'm doing well here in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Okay, very good. The Hill of Cherries. I don't think I've ever seen a <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen a cherry tree in New Jersey in Cherry Hill. Anyway, what can we do you for? Well, I have uh, two small fig trees in my backyard which produced very well this year, but we had a lot of spotted lanternflies that left their honeydew on the leaves. That, in turn, turned into that black, what I guess is mold. It did not affect the fig production, but my question to you, Mike, is it's time to wrap those fig trees in burlap, and some of the leaves remain on the tree. Should I be picking those off because it would seem like it's not a good idea to put something around a a fungal sort of thing? Or if I pick them off, is it going to cause the tree to start having premature budding and that makes a problem for it? So what do you think? Well, um, the spotted lanternfly, uh, one of our newest invasive insects, uh, was first spotted, little pun there, no, um, in the Lehigh Valley and uh, makes its way to other territories by hitchhiking. Um, it moved into the Washington, D.C. area on a load of stones, I believe decorative stones. So one thing we know is that at this point in time, 
they are in the egg stage. And the eggs are laid inside of what looks like a splash of mud. So um, now when I, I'm going to go off to the side for a second. When you wrap the fig tree, do you wrap the tree itself or do you have framing you put around it? I have framing around it. Excellent. An old tomato case, frankly, and then so it's loosely around there, including the top. Excellent. Excellent. Good job. Um, what I would do, and now what you described uh, professionals call frass, F-R-A-S-S. That's a $20 word for bug poop. And the, the sooty honeydew. How about that for a name? Come on. It's poop, ladies and gentlemen. It ain't honey. You ain't going to spread it on your toast or put it in your tea. Hi. Anyway, uh, the honeydew, you know, the frass might have actually, you know, fertilized the tree to some degree. Uh, they are sap sucking insects, and I'm surprised they didn't take any vigor from the tree. But this may be a case of, um, you know, them giving back what they take. Now, you say you still have leaves on the tree that have the frass on them. Is that correct? Yes, but far fewer than even two weeks ago. I I went out to check uh, today before I came on the program. And, of course, I hadn't thought of this. A bunch of them have blown away. And there are new, there's new growth that I didn't have anything to do with it, I guess because it's in a sheltered part of the yard. Oh, no, so, no, Pats. It's it's crazy. Um, I was hanging suet cages for my local birds, and one of them emptied so quickly I was afraid a raccoon or something had gotten into them. So I have this, uh -huh. you know, million candle power flashlight, and I checked it before I went to bed last night. And then I turned it to the right. My crabapple tree is flowering. Oh, no. Yeah, it ain't just the polar bears, kids. Um, we are we are spiraling into the sun and we're doing it to ourselves. So there's I mean, it's Mother Nature. Mother Nature is fed up with our nonsense and she's going to put a beating on us. Uh, I can't tell you what to do with the new growth other than just leave it alone and okay. pray to the gods that I don't burn coal. Don't hurt me. So mm -hmm. um, I would inspect the tree, however, for those uh, splashes of mud. If you see any right. any egg cases and remove okay. those, uh, scrape them off with like a credit card or something like that and drop them into, you know, white vinegar or rubbing alcohol. And then do your tree as, um, as always, and, you know, unwrap it and we'll see what's happening. But this okay. is, this is climate change on a stick. I see forsythia in bloom in November, um, all sorts of strange things. I never, never saw a apple tree bloom in November. 
So it's nuts. We have to adapt and we also have to do a better job. I mean, these these kids who are protesting outside the climate change summit are right. We we can't mess around anymore. This is the tipping point. Um, We we might be able to grow more ice in the Arctic. Maybe not. Polar bears are my favorite animals. Um, but we got to stop. I mean, it's, there's no excuses anymore. So, you know, wrap your tree and be ready to adjust. Um, you know, change is coming faster and faster and we all have to adjust, but keep doing what you're doing. I'm glad you got figs, wrap your tree, get rid of any eggs. And, um, next year, if, if you want, if the lanternflies show up again, just spray them off with sharp streams of water from your garden hose. Well, thank you for hazarding an answer and appreciate your show and everything you do. Thank Bye-bye. you. Bye-bye. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and announce that my first Zoom appearance for the season will be a presentation for the affiliated affiliates of the Chester County something or other, and it's going to be about lawn care on February 24th at 7 p.m. But don't go filling in the date on your notebook just yet, because we'll be right back with Gardening 101 for the coming season and more of your fabulous phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to a brand new episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Lehigh Valley, Public Media in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in ice-encrusted Bethlehem, PA. I am your freezing cold host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, we're going to get you started on preparing for the upcoming season in our typical, or I don't know, we've been doing it for two or three years now. We go over all the basics for all the new listeners and to remind the old listeners to stop making those mistakes. But first, more of your fabulous phone calls at 888-492-9444. Sharon, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Well, thank you for taking my call. Well, thank you for making it, Sharon. How you doing? I'm doing very well. And where is Sharon doing well? I am doing well. As a newly Pennsylvania transplant here in Tatamy, Pennsylvania. I have a question I've never had to deal with before because I've never had it to start brand new. Right. But I do have a question with, uh, like, brand new lawn maintenance. Um, specifically, like, like the, the contractors are going to use a certain um, Pennsylvania state mixture of seed from Godshalls, I found out. But, like, other than them laying the seed, I have no idea, like... Well, uh, you can't 
sow fresh grass seed in the spring and expect it to do well. Um, I okay. know it, I know it's counterintuitive, but the time to plant a new lawn in Pennsylvania is between August 15th and the end of September. Think about it. You plant the new grass seed in spring. The soil is cold. The seed doesn't germinate rapidly. When it does come up, it's weakened. It's already used a lot of its inherent energy. And then what happens? It gets hot and the lawn burns up. Now, Let's proceed back to August 15th, the date for sowing your new lawn. Now, and you're using a cool season grass. Remember that. That's why it burns up in the heat. So uh -huh. you sow a cool season grass in August. And what happens? Well, the days, the hours of daylight are already getting shorter. The nights are cool, um, but the mm -hmm. soil is warm. So the grass will germinate rapidly. And then over the next couple of months, it will, the climate will mimic um, the climate that the grass is native to, which is generally uh, the United Kingdom, somewhere in Great Britain. Kentucky bluegrass, by the way, comes from Ireland. You know, everything is misnamed in this business. And then it continues to get cooler, and your cool season grass is thriving. Then winter comes, and that's fine. It's used to winter, and then spring comes along. Now your grass is established, and now the climate, once again, is perfect. Um, you are having cool nights. By the time you get to July, your lawn will be almost a year old and well-established. Timing okay. is everything, and especially— I did not know that. Oh, that's why I make the Thank big you. money, Shar, you know. <laughs> One of the things people misunderstand is that a grass, grass seed spread in the spring is doomed and in the fall it's bulletproof. Now, your house is being built right now, so there's a lot of heavy construction equipment, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. So what I'm going to say, and there's, is there an existing lawn there, anything like that? No, nothing. Start from scratch. It's just dirt. Right. Okay. So... What I'm going to suggest is you tolerate the dirt, and then in July, during a really dry time, you till it all up. Now, okay. I am not normally an advocate of tilling, uh, but your soil is now greatly compacted because of those um, big trucks and machinery and everything like that. So I would till it up. I would also hire someone to come in and aerate the soil. That means they'll bring a big machine that will pull plugs out of the soil, and that will also help reduce the compaction caused by all the heavy machinery. And then, um, you know, it's going to expose some weed seeds, but there's nothing we can do about that. You know, we got to mm -hmm. get this puppy ready. So right. uh, when after you're done aerating and tilling, you have the lawn. I don't know how big an, an area it is. You either, you either level it out with a hoe or you have a professional come in and level it out without putting a lot of pressure on the soil. Then okay. um, you have a big load of compost, high-quality compost that's already been delivered. I would actually till that into the soil when you do the tilling. 
That won't hurt. It'll also help make spaces for air and water. And then just go around and sow the seed. Don't buy into any of these crazy hydro seeding slit seed. Oh, my God. I mean, everybody. <laughs> like that easy seed. Oh, yeah, easy seed because it's easy for us because you need us to keep coming back year after year. There is no such thing. <laughs> now, you will select your grass. Um you want high-quality seed, brand-name seed. In other words, it has true brand names. It'll say something like Rebel Fescue X or Rebel Fescue 12 or um, Kentucky Bluegrass um, 8 times 9 something like that. It'll have a real name. This is very important because you might want to have to fill in spots in the future. And you oh, want to have matching yeah. seed. So save the bag. If you go for Kentucky bluegrass, which is great in our region, um, it will fill in its own bare spots. But it grows faster and it needs more food and water. Not a ton more. But um, I would advise Kentucky bluegrass, again, because it is a creeping grass that grows um, to fill in its own bare spots. Fescue is... Nice. Fescue is the most environmentally sound grass, and it's what generally is used on athletic fields. But it is a clumping grass that will not grow sideways. Um, so you really have to reseed a fescue grass every fall to fill in the bare spots. But that's not much of a problem. The idea here is to get that soil loosened up, get some nutrition into it, sow the seed, and then cover that with an inch more compost. And that's it. That's all you have to do. Don't listen to anybody who tells you you gotta use a starter fertilizer because the seed itself is mostly fertilizer. And make sure the first, um, well, you don't, really don't have to do anything till summer when you wanna make sure it's, it's watered deeply during dry times. That's an inch of rain delivered all at once, once a week. Okay. I have a follow-up to that. I'll bet you do. So, okay, if I have time. Do you know those, this is what I'm nervous about. Do you know those little wormy looking, they're white and creamy looking, and they're really hideous, and they look like they're in a permanent yoga pose, like kind of like the feet are matching the face, and they're, they're, I think they're grubs. Oh, I think they are. Like, at what point do I have to worry about that with a new lawn? Like, I'm doing all this work, and if I see one grub, you know, I squish it immediately. But Good. I don't. I just the actual the actual act of tilling and aerating will kill most of the grubs, and then oh. the best defense is to grow a lush, thick lawn. And if you get into trouble with grubs. You call us back, okay? I know I can't stop yeah. you at this point. Yeah, that's right. All right, get out of here, Shar. <laughs> Thank you. My pleasure. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Number to call, 888-492-9444. Steve, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Calling in from Wethersfield, Connecticut. Oh, okay. Um, you sound familiar, have you been stalking this show? <laughs> I guess you could call that, yes. All right, Steve. What can we do you for? Okay. I have collected uh, four bags of chipped leaves. Good. 
I use a, uh, a leaf blower, then chop them up with a lawnmower and put them in bags, and I save them for wonderful days like today. Question is, do I have to wait for the snow to melt before I put it on, or can I put it on on top of the snow? Um, just Into curious, why is today a wonderful day for you? Um, well, I'm feeling just donkey today, so I guess that's good enough. Donkey? Um, donkey. <laughs> All right, we're losing it rapidly here, cats and kittens. Um, <laughs> snow is the ultimate mulch. The best garden, the best gardening seasons follow a winter in which there is constant snow cover because snow is the best insulator. The soil temperature underneath that snow never changes. It's right there at the freezing yeah. point, and it prevents weeds. It does all that good stuff. It would be a mistake to put mulch out now. But once and if the snow melts, it is perfectly acceptable to put those shredded leaves on your garden beds and it's fine if it snows on top of that as well but mm. you never you never mess with what's called god's mulch which is snow okay. this is this is how these plants and soils and organisms have evolved over untold numbers of years now one thing i'm going to use your phone call for is to either remind people or alert them or tell them or smarten them up or whatever that um, if you have mulch on your garden beds, you should rake it off gently about two to three weeks before you intend to plant in those beds. That allows the sun to hit the soil, warm it up naturally, and then, again, provided you're planting at the correct temperature and stuff, you know, for the crops you're growing, then you immediately put the, put the mulch back in place for uh, started plants like tomatoes, peppers, stuff like that. And you wait until um, direct sown crops like lettuce or string beans come up and then you mulch around them. Because uh, it's always good to have that layer of mulch there. But there's nothing better than snow. And the most important thing to take away from this is to give your garden a good two to three weeks to warm up without mulch on top of the beds. Okay, that's good for the raised beds and vegetables. How about flower gardens? How about them? <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> you know, what, do, what does a flower garden mean to you? Um, well, I've got early crocuses, right, and pretty much, and, and many, many other types of bulbs, and of course perennials. Okay, um, let's how does the let's, treatment work for let, them? No, no, no. Let's go straight to those spring bulbs. It is vitally okay. important that you get out there and rake away any leaves you missed. Um, because, okay. because those leaves can prevent the emergence of the bulbs, especially the minor ones, the really early ones, like snowdrops and glory of snow. I would not remove snow 
because again, this is how these plants grew up. It's in their DNA. You know, they're going to come up. And um, some of my, I, I don't think I've ever seen my snowdrops or glory of snow not growing in snow. I mean, that's how they okay. got. That's how they got their name. Oh, that and witch hazel. Witch hazel blooms really nice uh, even under the snow. You got witch hazel so small it, it's covered by snow. Well, no. One year we cleared the driveway and packed it all. Had to pack it on top of the witch hazel. And as we started pulling away the uh, snow, the witch hazel was blooming in the snow. You're a criminal. <laughs> there, there's no we other. No there's no other place in the Christian world you could have put your plowed snow. But yes, witch hazel uh, is um, either a shrub or a tree, and it is the earliest such thing to bloom in the spring. But otherwise, you know, your perennials, don't sweat it, man. Um, leave the snow there. It's keeping the soil at um, uh, a nice steady temperature. And then, you know, when all the snow is gone, the perennials are growing again, I really recommend a couple shovelfuls of compost. Um, and then you can put leaves on top of those if that's your idea of a good time. Okay. All right, so man. I think last year, I, accidentally, I think last fall, I accidentally did it right. I had my gardener um, clear out the beds, chop up the leaves, we put them in the bags, and whatever was left on the ground went in, back into the flower bed but not in these sections where I have my early plants. Good. Yeah. So, Sounds good. So I accidentally did it right. Yeah. Well, that's that's how men achieve rightness a lot of the times. All right, man. Okay. Nice to talk to you. Take care. Bye-bye. Yeah, bye. It's time for me to take another little break and announce that the Rutgers Home Gardener's School will be virtual this year, with yours truly delivering the keynote address and hosting a workshop called Bending is for Chumps. It's all on Saturday, February 26th. For details, just Google or goggle Home Gardener's School. But don't go rebooting your computer just yet, because we'll be right back with instructions for the earliest part of the season and more of your fabulous phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to a brand new episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in freezing cold Bethlehem, PA. I should have worn gloves.
This is 91.3 FM WLVR Bethlehem online at WLVR.org. Welcome back to another all new edition of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath, and we're in the stretch now, cats and kittens. In just a little bit, we will begin a month-long series of holding your hand while you do the basic gardening chores that will ensure you get something to eat out of that spot outdoors. Maybe a lot. You don't want to miss a show. And you certainly don't want to miss this one. So, 888-492-9444. Richard, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Yes. Hello, Richard. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm just ducky. Thanks for asking. Where is Richard Good? Lorry Station, Pennsylvania. Okay, very good. What can we do you for? I'd like to know, you had, you had said something about a wireless deer fence on a couple uh, things ago. Right. Uh, I'd like to know where, you can, where, you can, where and how you can buy it. Well, uh, do, do you have Internet access? Well, I, I can. I mean, because that's the best way. And all you would do is type in wirelessdeerfence.com. And that'll take you to the website of the manufacturer. Back before COVID, um, they were renting tables, so to speak, at various flower shows and things like that. But I think right now, your best, maybe only choice is to uh, mail order it directly from the guy who makes them. I don't think they've ever been sold at retail, but I could be wrong. Now, just before we let you go, let's explain to our listeners that the wireless deer fence is a short plastic stake that has uh, electrodes at the top and a little pivot in there to accept a scent pellet that attracts deer. So you get that all set up, then you put the batteries in the belly of this thing, and you sit it, you stake it in the ground right next to where the deer are the most uh, troublesome. Uh, they come in packs of three. Um, I think they, they come at a fair price. So decide how many packs of three you want. And the important thing, and um, I'm happy that you're calling right now, is that you want to get them out early. This is not something you put out after you see damage. Uh, Because when the young deer are exploring, looking for their hunting grounds, um, they will be attracted by this scent pellet. They'll come and lick it. And then a capacitor inside um, has been building up that battery strength to give them a shock. Um, Not a lethal shock by far. They won't be harmed. Um, But when something like that happens to a deer for the first time, 
they imprint, they take a mental photograph of the surroundings. And so when they come back to your place, they're going to see the same basic outline, the big tree over here, the cars over there, and they're going to move on. Um, It's the same principle as uh, an electric fence. Farmers only turn them on in the spring because after all the local deer have gotten a shock, there's no need to keep running the electricity. One of the least known methods of keeping deer away is to give them an unpleasant experience early in the season. So once again, you go to wirelessdeerfence.com. I'm sure once you start punching in the first couple of words, it'll come up. And I highly recommend them. I use them. And you don't have to have a huge fence around your property. All right, sir? Okay. Okay, so good luck with the wireless deer fence. I'd love to hear your experience with it. Um, Okay, thank you, sir. Bye-bye. Goodbye. All right, as advertised, it is time for the question of the week, which we're calling Getting Started for Seed Starting. Brandon from Conshohocken, Pennsylvania writes, could you please discuss wood versus peat-based potting soils on your show? I've heard that wood-based ones are better for a variety of reasons, but I have mixed feelings since they drain really well, but don't seem to retain much moisture near the soil surface. I typically do the finger test in my pots rather than rocking them, as you recommend, and it's always parched to my second knuckle within a day when I use wood-based soils. Then I go to water and I realize that there's still a ton of water in the bottom half of the pot, and I end up with an overflowing drip tray. I have not noticed any difference in plant health, but I don't do side-by-side comparisons. All right, Brandon, I don't do windows, okay? I had no idea what Brandon was talking about until a quick search revealed a company selling bagged potting soil that included wood, and the bag was named Potting Soil and Mulch, a phrase I had also never heard before. A typical potting soil would make a lousy mulch, and a typical mulch would make a lousy potting soil. The company explains that the, quote, wood finds they include in their mixes, quote, force soil particles apart, allowing water and air to travel down away from the surface and towards plant root systems. In other words... They're substituting small pieces of wood for perlite, my favorite soil conditioner. This mined volcanic material is popped into little balls that provide excellent drainage, but also hold on to excess moisture in their honeycombed interiors and release that moisture when the soil gets dry. Now, 
as all of you good, you bet your gardeners know, wood absorbs plant feeding nitrogen while depriving the actual plants of this essential nutrient, especially when the wood is mixed into the soil. So that's strike one. Strike two is called by the umpire of gardening because of their very next line where they add that it is critical to mix soil amendments or planting mixes with your native soil rather than using them, quote, straight. Never use garden soil to start seeds or repot plants. Never, ever, ever. You'll wind up with weeds whose seeds were lurking in that outdoor soil, possible disease organisms that were hanging out with the weed seeds, and a soil consistency that is the opposite of what you want for potting soils. I would proceed to have strike three called, but I've read more than enough already. I'm just gonna throw at them, put them on first, and then pick them off when they try to steal second. Wood? Are you kidding me? Wood? Back to Brandon. Sorry, pal, but you, like 90% of our gardening cats and kittens, are also watering way incorrectly. Nobody cares if the soil surface is dry. It means nothing. As we have repeatedly been saying repeatedly, it is the root area that counts. So stick a long chopstick or a shish kebab holder down to the bottom of the pot and let it sit there for a few minutes. Then take it out. If the tip is wet, your roots are still saturated. Please let them dry out before you water again. Intelligent withholding of water is hugely important, especially with new starts. Too much water equals damping off disease. There are many excellent non-wooden organic potting soils out there. Now, I personally use the bag products from Espoma, who, yes, have been amazingly dependable at helping support this show for many years, but I use their potting soil because it is organic, high quality, and I pay for it with my own dime at my local independent garden center. Please don't use Miracle Gag or I Lost My Osma Coat or other potting soils that contain toxic chemical salts. Organic potting soils contain lots of groovy natural plant foods like worm castings and such. And please do support your local independent garden centers. If you've been going to a big box store for plants and soils, you're missing the whole point of having a community of gardening. Ugh, ducky, how many sermons is that? That's at least a month of Sundays. We move on to timing. If you have some gardening skill and think you're up for it, starting your own seeds indoors is enlightening and wonderful. But if you're just getting started growing things in general, don't do it. It's a trap. 
seriously. Starting seeds indoors is a much different skill than growing plants outdoors. Newbies are encouraged to buy plants like tomatoes and peppers already professionally started at their local independent garden center. Hint, hint. You can test your seed starting skills outdoors with direct seeded crops like lettuce, spinach, and string beans. We move on to timing. Or did I just say that? My rule is to start your seeds exactly two months before you intend to set the plants out. Research the historical weather data for your region for the past five April, Mays, and Junes. That should give you an idea when nighttime temps typically reach and stay in the 50s. That's right, cats and kittens. Your last average frost date means nothing. Tropical plants like tomatoes, peppers, cukes, melons, etc. suffer greatly when temps are in the high 30s and mid to low 40s. You're looking for nighttime temps in the 50s. For instance, I typically start my plants around March 15th for hopefully planting out somewhere around May 15th. But if nights are still cold then, I keep them inside until the 10-day forecast shows nights in the 50s. Now, come on, 48 degrees, 49 degrees, that's, that's not a problem. 42 or 43, that, my friends, is a chump move. Well, that sure was an interesting look at what you need to do right now for the beginning of the season. Now, wasn't it? Luckily for you, the question of the week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website. To read it over in detail, just click the link for the question of the week at our website, which is still and will forever be youbetyourgarden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden Question of the Week, and you will always find the latest question of the week at the Gardens Alive website. Yikes! My producer is threatening to overwater my Allianthus if I don't get out of this studio. Whew, we must be out of time. But you, our special people, our beloved listeners, watchers, Potters, whatever you call yourselves, you can call us anytime at 888-492-9444 or send us your emails, your tired, your poor, your wretched refuse teeming, teeming towards our garden shore at YBYG at WLVT dot O-R-G. Please include your location when you send that email. You'll find all of this contact information at our website, youbetyourgarden.org, where you'll also find the answers to all your garden questions, audio of this show, video of this show, and our priceless podcast. You Bet Your Garden is a half-hour public television show, an hour-long public radio show and podcast, all produced and delivered to you weekly by Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the public radio exchange. 
You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. Mike McGrath was created by Joe Simon and Jack Kirby, Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, Stan Lee and Steve Ditko, Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster, Bob Kane and Bill Finger, and Clayton Moore and Jay Silverheels. Oh, and George Reeves and underwater detective Mike Nelson. I should have been a frog man. Ken Queter plays our theme song. Our chief content officer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our angel of the airways is Christine Dempsey. Our engineer is always cheerful, Charlie Sarah. Our social media director is Amanda Norfleet. Check out her fine work. Stay current with what's happening with the show and send her pretty pictures of your garden and or house plants so that you can see them up at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. Teresa Radke is our profound producer of Priceless Production. The lovely Jonas Bowen is our audio editor. Judicious Jake Boyer does the video. Our director of direction, the harassed and harried Javier Diaz, well, he now realizes he's not going to get more time off, so he's just sulking around here somewhere. Zach Detack Wisniewski is back in the house, as is or are Jacob Morris, Carlin Canfield, and the rest of the usual gang of idiots. Our beloved CEO, Tim Fallon, is our beloved CEO, Tim Fallon. Hmm. Or is he an exact duplicate? I'm your host, Mike McGrath, and I'll be defrosting my car, defrosting my hands, changing out of my wet socks, and dreaming of spring until I see you again next week. We're melting sidewalk ice shoveling out our cars, and reading seed catalogs. I'm Mike McGrath, and on the next You Bet Your Garden, we'll continue our continuing series of helpful hints on getting ready for the good times to come. Plus your somewhat fabulous phone calls. That's on the next You Bet Your Garden.